So welcome, welcome, welcome to Labor Day weekend service. Um, we have got a good felt board story for you uh, this morning. Now, a while back, um, and I don't remember exactly when, maybe in March, what is this? September. Uh, yeah, maybe in March, um, we looked at a story of a guy named Naaman. Anybody remember this story? Naaman's the guy who he showed up with leprosy, um, and he showed up at uh, the prophet Elisha's house and, because he had heard that this guy maybe could uh, get some healing done. Um, his, this guy's wife had begged him to go. He got permission from the king of the country that he was from to travel to visit Elisha. So he shows up expecting some sort of religious ceremony, um, you know, some sort of prayers that he's got to do. Um, and Elisha, if you remember that story, asked him to do something that made zero sense whatsoever. He asked him to go down into the Jordan River, which was a pretty dirty river, um, and told him to dip into the river seven times. And nothing about that request made sense. And everything inside of Naaman wanted to just resist and be like, no, this is stupid. I have standing in my country. Our rivers are cleaner. I didn't need to come all this way to do this. I, like, I came to get something from this guy. Um, luckily, Naaman had a servant with him who was like, we've come all this way. You should at least try it right? I mean, what's it going to hurt? You get wet. <laughs> so Naaman decided to do it. And uh, when he came up out of the river the seventh time, he was cleansed of his leprosy. And he comes back and he comes back to Elisha's house after this happened. And he's just beside himself because his leprosy would have been not, he would have been exiled from his entire, shunned from his entire community until he died a very painful death. And so uh, Elisha comes out and greets him after he's been cured of his leprosy. And he says, he makes the statement to Elijah that he says, now I know that there is only one God, the God of Israel. And so he had shown up with a physical need, right? He needed to have his leprosy healed. And he left with a spiritual solution. That is, he met God. So now he's got to go back to his pagan land who doesn't worship the God of the Israelites. So he needs to go back there, right? But he doesn't want to go back and worship the pagan God because this God of the Israelites had just healed them. And so he takes some dirt with him, which essentially the idea was this when he took the dirt with him. The idea essentially was is that every nation had their own God. And so when you were on that nation's soil, you were to worship that nation's God. And so his mind is, if I take some of the soil from Israel, then I've got the nation of Israel with me and I can worship the God of Israel. Now, when I went to Sunday school, uh, that was where the story ended. Much like that was where the story ended for us in March and we just kind of left it and moved on with other stories in our felt board Sunday school um, series. But in this story, we discovered an incredible principle. And I don't know if you remember this. So I'm going to give it to you again because it, it's so good, right? The principle, um, the principle is this, is that God's ultimate goal for us when it comes to our obedience, that is when we feel like God is pushing us to do something or asking us to do something, his goal uh, is not simply cooperation, if cooperation was God's only goal for us, 
I mean, that could, that could be accomplished through lightning bolts, right? <laughs> Do what I say. No, zap. Well, okay, well, I, okay, I will cooperate from now on, God. Please don't hit me with another lightning bolt, right? But what God is interested in is something far more than just our cooperation, right? And oftentimes, God will require something of us um, without letting us know why we're specifically doing that. Has anybody had that feeling before? Like you just felt you were supposed to do something or not do something and it didn't make sense? Like anybody just logicking it from the outside would be like, no, this is a terrible move. But you just had that gut feeling like, mm, that's not what I'm supposed to do. Right? The reason that God will do that sometimes without letting us know what the payoff is, because there's a lot of times in those situations that you don't know, you can't see how it's going to turn out. You don't know what's coming down the road. The reason that happens is because God is essentially in those moments saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to get to the point in your faith in me that when I ask you to do something or I put a, you know, a feeling on you or try and push you in the right direction, that you trust me. First of all, that you recognize it's me doing this. And secondly, that you trust me enough to not have to know the why and to not have to know exactly how it's going to turn out to step out and do what I'm asking you to do. And in the process of trusting him, even when it doesn't make sense, something amazing happens. When our faith intersects with God's faithfulness, and I've said this a lot of times because it's just so true. When that happens, when our faith intersects with God's faithfulness, God becomes alive and real to us in our lives in a way that we never thought possible. Because as we grow up and we hear stories about God and think we kind of understand how God works, God is a very flat, two-dimensional character to us. It's not until there's that interaction where we feel God has pushed us to something, we step out in faith, God comes through in an amazing way, and then all of a sudden, that two-dimensional, kind of just a concept, idea, feeling of God becomes something so much more. It becomes so much And we walk away, and we, we walk away, we're, we, we thought, you know, not saying, did I make the right choice? Right? We walk away being like, Wow. The God of the universe has shown up in my tiny little insignificant life. That is the feeling that you get out of that. And it's all because God doesn't simply want cooperation. He's after your affection. And he didn't send his son to die for us just so that we would obey. He sent his son to die for us so that we can have a relationship with God and the currency of every good relationship is trust. Without trust, there's no good relationship. And you show me any good relationship and I'll show you people that have trust. So from time to time, God is going to ask us to do something that requires us to trust him. Now, if you've been familiar with or watching many of our uh, Felt Board Sunday School series, you're probably thinking like, Wow, you're pretty far into this already, Andy. We haven't seen any felt characters. <laughs> Good observation. We're going to solve that right now. Because there's a second part to this story. Right? There, there, there's a second part to what's going on. While all of that stuff was happening, 
Elisha telling Naaman to dip, Naaman not wanting to do it, his servant convincing him to do it, the healing, he comes back, now I believe in God, let me take some of Israel with me. Watching all of that stuff unfold was a guy by the name of Gehazi. And Gehazi was the servant to Elisha. Now, what you've got to keep in mind to kind of really make this story make sense is that prophets in that time were poor. And so if you were the servant to a poor person, what do you think that made you? (laughs) That made you like dirt poor, like nothing, right? There was nothing to be had. So here's what happened. When Naaman showed up, he didn't show up empty-handed. So let, let, let's get Naaman. And uh, so here he is, and he was a military leader where he came from. And so he showed, up, he showed up on a chariot. He didn't walk. Walking was for suckers. right? He shows up, and now due to the limitations of the available uh, felt board pieces, you're going to have to have some imagination here. He didn't show up empty-handed. He showed up with something he could pay with. Now you see that little bag of money there? much bigger because <laughs> he just didn't bring money. He brought clothes. He brought jewelry. He brought perfumes. He brought all of the expensive stuff because he was going to make an attempt to purchase his life back because if he wasn't healed, he was a dead man. And so money was no thing to him, right? It, not at all. Um, And so Naaman, he showed up, he had gold and silver and clothes, the whole nine yards. And and Gehazi, he looked at this and he thought, we've we've hit payday, right? This is it. Our ship has finally, finally come in. So here's, uh, here he is. Here's again, he's, look at, see that nice pleasant smile he has? That's because he's eyeing that money bag. He's like, oh my goodness, the dipping in the river thing worked. Whoo, we're going to have it. And so he's standing here with Elijah. As Naaman came back and Naaman came back. And he says to him, he says, he says, you've saved my life. I have met God. Nothing is going to be the same ever again. Let me give you something in appreciation. You know, Gehazi, he's like, yeah, this is it. This is the moment. And Elisha says, no, thank you. We don't need it. We don't need it. So <laughs> Naaman's like, are you sure? No. Elijah says, we don't need it. So he says, all right. So he uh, tucks it back down in the chariot there. He's like, I'm going to head home then. And so he starts heading home. All right, so heading home, heading home. There he goes. Elijah's servant. He's like, oh, no. My master's made a grave mistake, and I got to fix it. So he goes chasing down. He goes chasing down the chariot. They weren't, they obviously weren't running fast. They were just kind of walking along. He had a whole group of people with him. He didn't travel by himself. Again, felt board character limitations. But he catches up to the, he catches up to the group. And what he does is he essentially makes up a story, a complete lie about somebody who was in a situation. And so we've decided we're we're, going to take that payment after all. Not for us, for somebody else. Naaman, he's like, you don't got to convince me, man. Like, I came with it to give you for saving my life. You did it, so here you go. He's like, woohoo, right? Actually, I think in the story, it's multiple bags, and so he had to have some of Naaman's servants help him take it back. And he has them, just before they get over the hill, to get back 
to where Elisha's house was. He's like, all right, you guys just leave this stuff here. I got it from here. Because he's got to sneak it into his house and hide it. So he goes and hides it. Then Elisha shows up. Oh, man. They're talking to each other. Just pretend they're facing the right way. Elisha shows up. He goes, hey, where you been? He goes, nowhere. Elisha goes, oh, sure. So you didn't just go catch up with Naaman, right? You didn't go get that money, didn't get that payment, right? He's like, oh, yeah, maybe I did. That turned out to be a real poor choice on his part because Elisha said, well, then, may Naaman's leprosy be on you for the rest of your life. Now, there's times when things happen, and God is doing something, and you just don't get it. You don't understand why. You don't understand how it's going to work out. It's just not making sense. And you probably have stories like that. Maybe something you were told to do or something you were, felt you were supposed to do or not do. Either way, and if you've been a Christian for a very long time, you have, you've read the Bible, right? You've heard some preacher like me talking about stuff. You've prayed and you've bumped into stuff that just seems unrealistic in our current life circumstance, right? Certain principles we say you should live by that you're just like, ah, that may have worked then. That's not what life is doing here now. That's just not really going to work. Our response kind of sometimes when you read some stuff in the scripture might be like, wait, 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 wait. What? What? You know, that, that just doesn't make sense. And so we don't do it. Because we can't make sense of it. And it can be in any arena of life. You know, it can be in relationships, finances, um, career, family, whatever it is. Any, any instance of life. And, and this is one of those instances. So I want to look at the, the scriptural account of this story. And then we're going to talk about some of the stuff lurking below the surface of it. If you have your Bibles, we're in 2 Kings chapter 5 beginning in verse 15, it says this, says, then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. This is right after he finished dipping in the river. And he stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. So Naaman says, you saved my life. Introduce me to the true God. Let me pay you for healing me. And as I went through and looked at like everything that the scripture said that he had brought with him, and like kind of the equivalent uh, of what those things would have cost, it would have been the equivalent of well over a million dollars for us today. That is how, first of all, that's the position that Naaman held in his country. And second of all, that's how much he was willing to pay to save his life. So Gehazi, he's standing there spending the money in his head, right? I'm going to get olive groves. I'm going to maybe plant some vineyards, get some flocks, have a few herds, you know, some servants around me. Maybe I'll pick up a jet ski to run down the Jordan. You know, that kind of, you know. He was spending it, and we've all done that, right? We've all spent money we don't have. And it's weird because this is the second week in a row I'm going to mention this, but I drive past the dang lottery sign every Sunday coming to church. <laughs> It's $375 million now. And you better believe that between that sign and the YMCA this morning, I was spending $375 million in my head. 
some of you would enjoy the feast that we would have invited you to. <laughs> because we would have. <laughs> right? And we, so we all do this. We start like seeing things that we want or could be ours or just within grasp. And we start just, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing. Where we become obsessed with it and start planning our life as if we already have it. But then his world comes crashing down. Verse 16, the prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. <laughs> and Gehazi's beside himself, right? He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You changed this guy's life and now you won't let him pay us? Listen, Elijah, he is a military leader in a neighboring nation. He probably stole most of this stuff from Israel anyway. Why not let him give it back? God has provided for us, Elisha, and you are missing it. You're missing it. Keeps going, and even though Naaman urged him, probably with, probably with Gehazi standing right behind him, pleading him, Elijah, please let him show his gratitude. Please, just please let just a little bit. Even though Naaman urged him, he, being Elisha, refused. Go in peace, Elisha said. So as millions of dollars worth of gold and silver disappear over the horizon, off into the distance, Elisha and Gehazi went back into their hut. Their very not rich hut. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Now, he, here's what Gehazi's thinking through all of this. He's thinking, my master's made a huge mistake. It doesn't make any sense that we wouldn't take payment for everything that we did for this guy, right? So I'm going to fix it. I'm going to save the day. Elijah is going to look back on this moment and probably on a regular basis thank me that at least one of the two of us had a little bit of sense about ourselves. So he slips out the back, chases down Naaman to say, hey, 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 we've changed our mind. We've changed our mind. Now, here's where the story starts to get a little personal for us. Right? Because when God begins to do things or allow things that don't make sense or, or begins to nudge us in directions that don't make sense, we have a tendency to offer up our own suggestions to God. Right? As if God needs our input as to how things are going and what we should be doing. Now, now, to be fair, when we do this, very few of us say an actual prayer that's like, dear God, I just wanted to let you know that I'm not going to do what you want me to do. <laughs> We're never that upfront with it, right? We just don't do that. But in our hearts and in our actions, this is essentially what we do. We say, no, 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 no. And then we offer our alternative plans, right? Our alternative plans. No, 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 no. I'm not going to break up with that person. No, that's not what I'm going to do. But I, I'm going to invite them to church instead. God, that, that's better than, you know, trying to, you know, break up with them. Right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stay in this marriage that's really kind of difficult right now, God. No, no, no. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get into another one 
that's good from the beginning and have a good Christian home in that one. Which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> but it happens all the time, right? To which God would be like, yeah, that's a lot better than what I was planning. All right, tithe. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to tithe, but I will give some. Right? When there's a special need, right? When, when, when my heartstrings get tugged up, I, I, I'll, give, I'll give some. Serve? You, you want me to serve every Sunday? What? Serve? You want me to go on a Saturday once a month down to the mission to help serve? What? Don't you know Saturdays are my only day? After I've worked so hard Saturday? Really? No, no, no. Ah, yeah. No, no. I got a better plan. I, I think I'll just tithe. I'll let everybody else do the actual serving part. So I, I'll go back to the tithing. Yeah, I'll do that one. I, I don't want to serve. We don't look at God and say, no, 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 no. I have a better plan. But in reality, this is what we do all the time. I have watched so many people bargain their way and offer their version of what they think should be done that covers enough that they should be okay with God. I, over and over and over again. And, and do, you, do you know what it really comes down to in those situations? It comes down to, and we would never be so arrogant as to say this out loud or that this is what we're actually thinking, but this is what's going on. Essentially what we say in those moments is, God, I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than you, Right? I know you created the whole universe and time's not a thing to you and you, you know, you know where, where I'm headed and what's in store for me and all of this. But God, you know, you don't know what it's like to be, you know, to be living in Savannah and this time. It's a little different, right? You know, God, you were never married to her. You were never married to him. Like, uh... You know, you don't, you don't, you never had to deal with my in-laws, God. I'm just kidding. Any in-laws in the room today, you're great. I just, nobody in tapestry says that. I'm talking to the people who are watching on video. <laughs> but listen, I, we essentially said, look, I, I know my life and my world better than you, God. Right? So no, I, I'm going to do my plan because yours doesn't make any sense to me. Right? Now, when this happens, it, it demonstrates um, an incredible point of confusion that so many of us have. And it's so subtle that we go through these situations um, and we never understand what it is that we're actually confused about. But when God asks us to give something up, right? we're, we're so concerned um, or to do something else other than get something that we see sitting right in front of us, like he was trying to get the, the, the payoff. Like we get so concerned with what we either have or what we could have shortly that we forget about what God may have for us. We get so consumed. Nope, God, I'm not going to give this up because I find it to be extremely valuable. Nope, can't give it up. We don't even take into account how valuable what God has and might be wanting to give us is. Nope, God, I see this thing. That's really valuable. I'm going to go after that. I'm not going to do your plan. Lose complete track. 
of how valuable what God might have in his plan for us, right? We think that the issue is about what we have or what we could possibly get, but the issue really is this. Can God be trusted? That's what this comes down to. That's the question. Can God be trusted? And when God starts, you know, kind of messing with and touching, you know, our, our family, our finances, our relationships, our careers, you know, we say, God, you've got to be kidding. Don't you know how valuable those things are to us, right? And God says, listen, the value of what I'm asking isn't the issue. The issue is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Because trust is the currency of good relationship. And if you don't trust God, you don't have relationship with God. At least not good relationship. Right? See, when I was young, I don't know, somewhere 24, 25, somewhere in that venue, like I decided to get serious with God, right? And this kind of demonstrates the futility of our being obsessed with what we've got in our hand and thinking is valuable. I decided to get serious with God. And so I like went down to an altar and I'm like, God, I like, I give you everything. Like I hold nothing back. Everything I have, I give up to you. And I'm sure that God was looking down on my recently wrecked 86 Subaru in my collection of burnt CDs thinking, oh, I'm glad you're making such a sacrifice. <laughs> right? I, I look back now. I had nothing. <laughs> what was I giving up? But those things were so valuable to me. Right? They were incredibly valuable. Right? And, and, and you know, now, but the thing is, is that with everything that I have now, when I look at what I had then compared to what I have now in life, like that idea of I give everything up, that's a lot more scary. There's a lot more at risk there. It's a little easier to trust God with a wrecked Subaru and a collection of CDs than it is with everything I've accumulated to this point in my life. Right? It's difficult. But the reason that it's difficult is because when I look in that dynamic, I mistakenly think that the issue is the value of what I now currently have, <laughs> right? But that's not the issue. The issue is, can God be trusted? Now, if God were to tell me exactly what was coming my way, hey, if you don't go after that thing, or if you give up this thing that I'm asking you to give up, well, then here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to work out. And here's what you're going to end up with on the end of it. Well, if he did that, yeah, I'm all in, right? But he doesn't do that. Why? Why wouldn't he do that? The reason is because he wants you to trust. Not for you to only do whatever he wants you to do if you know exactly everything about it. Right? This is, if God were to say, I want you to do these things, and here's what I have in store for you and is going to be the result, right? We, he, we, 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 if he showed us the payoff, we would just become obsessed with the payoff. We would skip right over God. We'd be like, oh, that's what you want me to do? Okay, I'm in on that thing. I'm getting that, getting it, getting it, getting it. And in that same situation, God would be like, no, because that's still not what it's about. Whatever I can offer of more value than you are currently having, it's about the relationship aspect. And if God showed us the payoff, we'd skip right over him and just be obsessed with the payoff. Now, do you know what God does get 
when we give up something that's valuable to us, not knowing what we're going to get in return. And th- this, is, this is crucial part of it right here. He gets our undivided attention. <laughs> because now there's something that's valuable to us and it's up in the air. And if we've made the decision and it's out of our hands, now all of a sudden we have to be wholly dependent on God. And so God in that moment has our attention in ways that he never had before. Right? If we give something up, God doesn't have our stuff. He doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't want our stuff. He wants us. And when we give up something valuable or choose not to go after something valuable because he asked us to, all of a sudden he has us because now we are wholly dependent on him. And that's really what this is all about, right? We think it's about the value of what's in our hand when it should be about, could we trust God? And we all struggle with this all the time. It's part of the human condition. So Gehazi heads on down the road, catches up with Naaman because he's got a better plan. Here's what happens. Verse 21. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asks. Everything is all right, Kahazi answered. My master sent me to say, (laughs) here's his story, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Well, by all means, take two talents, said Naaman. And he urged Kahazi to accept them. And then he tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. And he gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. And when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants, put them away from the house, in his house, and he sent the men away, and they left. So here's here's the moment. Gehazi says, okay, God, I see your plan. I raise you my plan. Yours doesn't make sense. Mine makes sense. I'm going to get the money. Verse 25. Then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. And this is where, this is where Gehazi is getting ready to discover something that he, real, that he will realize he failed to grasp. Elijah says to him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. Now, pause right there. How smart is it of him to lie to the guy whose job it is to communicate with God and speak on behalf of God to the nation. <laughs> how, how wise of it is it for him to lie to the guy who just sent somebody down to a river to get dunked seven times and healed of leprosy, right? Now let, let me ask you another question because our answer to that is clearly that's pretty dumb on Gehazi's part. But let me ask you this. How smart, of it is, how smart is it of us to argue with the God of the universe about what we should do when he pushes us to do something. (laughs) Right? Verse 26. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? (laughs) And I imagine he had a real hard swallow. (laughs) And that swallow probably got stuck in his throat. Now here's the key. Don't miss this. Elijah says to him this, is this the time 
to take money or to accept clothes. And, and then he starts going down Gehazi's dream list. All that stuff he had started spending money on in his head. Is this a time to take money or accept clothes? Olive groves? Vineyards? Flocks? Herds? Manservants? Maidservants? And here's his point. Here, here's his point. His point is this. Gehazi, who healed Naaman? God. Gehazi, why should we be paid for something that God did? Why? Why, why should we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm starting to get it, Gehazi says. That's why you sent me out to send him to the river and you never even made an appearance because you wanted to make sure that when he got healed, he connected it to God and not to you. That, that, that's why Naaman met God. That's why when he was done, he said, I have met God. Of course we shouldn't be paid. Of course we shouldn't. And I probably looked at him and was like, yeah. But it's too late now. You messed that up. You messed all of it. You didn't understand what was asked of you. And so you took matters into your own hands. And here's how this ends. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. I forgot that part of the story. It wasn't just him. It was all of his descendants as well. Then Gehazi went from Elijah's presence, and he was leprous, as white as snow. Now, here's what most of us know that we tend to forget about on a daily basis. There are two ways to know why God asks us to do something. The first is you can do it and then breathe a sigh of relief at the outcome. The second way to know if God was asking you to do something is to not do it and to take matters into your own hands and then probably end up living with a lifelong sense of regret over that moment. And at the end of the day, we're all going to figure it out. And we'll all get to that point that Gehazi got to. We're like, oh, I get it. It made no sense to me in the moment, but now that I'm on the other side, I can, I get it, I get it, I get it. And for some of us, it'll be a sigh of relief because we trusted God and did what was asked. For others of us, it'll be a sense of regret because since we didn't understand it, we didn't do it. So, so here's my challenge for you. What is it that you feel God nudging you to either do or not go after or give up? What is it? And in that thing, have you confused what the issue is? Have you thought about the issues, about the value of what you have or what you're not going after, or what you've got to give up? Right? Do you, the value of what's in your hand? Or do you realize the issue is, okay, I feel like God's asking me to do this. Do I trust God? Because listen, when you trust God, God comes through. When your faith intersects with his faithfulness, 
He becomes more real in your life than you ever could possibly imagine. So what's God asking you to do? And do you trust him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I thank you for these incredible narratives that we have that have been preserved and passed down for thousands of years that even though we live in, an, in a society that in no way, shape, or form is like the one in which these stories and narratives took place, that these stories, they still contain deeply important principles by which we can still live our lives today. And that it is through many of these principles that we are able to live the life that you have for us. And so God, when it comes to this issue, I pray that you begin to point out in our life the things that we look at that are so valuable to us that we make them off limits because we're so obsessed with those values that we forget about the question of do we trust you And the idea of that what you have for us in life is far more valuable than anything we can already hold on to. Lord, I thank you that that you bring this back to our attention. I thank you that you find ways, sometimes gentle ways, sometimes not so gentle, to remind us of these things. And Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on this holiday weekend. Um, I look forward to being with you again next week. Enjoy your holiday. Have a great week until we can be back together again.